KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Jim Melwort. This one is personal. I'm a living kidney donor. I gave my aunt one of my kidneys in 2006 and have been very active with Gift of Life. You might not know Howard Nathan's name, but chances are you know his work. He's been in charge of the Gift of Life donor program for decades, and now he's retiring. Gift of Life helps facilitate organ transplants, finding donors and coordinating uh, the actual transplant process. I'd met Howard several times over the years. He's very down-to-earth, approachable, and friendly. But it's kind of funny, it wasn't until I was at the transplant games in Houston in 2014 that I realized what Howard means to the transplant community outside of Philadelphia. Here in the Philadelphia region, many of us, me included, grew up with Gift of Life's message of becoming an organ donor, but a lot of cities haven't had that. I'd meet people and tell them I'm from Philly. No exaggeration, they'd say, you know Howard Nathan? He's a rock star in the transplant community. Not only in the U.S., Howard travels all over the world to talk about transplantation and how to increase organ donation. As you'll hear Howard say here, the science and logistics of transplantation are amazing, but at the end of the day, it comes down to a family making the choice to be a donor. After spending uh, so many years working with you, I'm sure a lot of people knew this day was coming, but still to hear it, it's emotional. I guess, what went into the decision? Yeah, I worked at Gift of Life for the past 43 years. And I'm very proud of the organization. But you know, the time has come to hand a baton to someone who really has been in charge of the clinical program for more than 20 years. And so I thought the time was right for me to step down. And um, I'll be moving into a different position uh, at Gift of Life. Uh, but Rick Hawes will be the president and CEO beginning in January. When you look back on the things that, that you've been able to do, what, what stands out to you? Well, when I came to Gift of Life, I was one of three employees. And um, little did I know that we grew from kidney transplantation to transplanting almost every organ in the body. And so the science of organ donation and transplantation has grown over the past 40 years. What's cool is the fact that the community has uh, really stepped up and continued to give and be the most generous anywhere in the country. People's lives that have been changed are, there's just thousands and thousands of people in our region that have benefited, but it's only because of that gift. Some of the most memorable times, you know, was when we did our first heart transplant in our region and the first liver transplant. And so those were the times that made the newspaper and made the TV stations in the early days. Now that's part of a routine care for transplantation is doing liver, hearts, lung transplantation. So for me, some of the most uh, memorable are the people that uh, have worked with me, including Rick. You know, we've grown to 273 really extraordinary employees who work 24-7 to save lives. And to be able to be a part of hiring them and training them and being the world's leader in donation and transplant uh, makes me very proud. I grew up, you know, spent most of my, my time in southeastern PA uh, in Montgomery County. And transplantation, gift of life, signing up to be a donor was just part of growing up. 
that you know a lot of us don't realize how aware people are in this area because we all grew up with it. You know, we had the 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 tables in our high school, you know, when we did the the health fairs and everything. A lot of places aren't like that. The the number of of donors, people who have signed up, people who are willing to do this. How did you get that there and and when you look around other parts of the country compare us to other places for people who may not be aware yeah one of the things we tried to do was to make organ donation to normalize organ donation that was part of the concept was to make organ donation part of life and so we did it by a number of ways one was certainly through our volunteers to increase awareness in high schools and churches And strategically, we actually passed a law back in 1994 so that the driver's license had the organ donor registry. And that was unique at that time. And now all 50 states have that. Our sign-up rate could improve. We're only at about 50% in the state. But the idea was to make organ donation part of life and uh, communicating that to your family that if something happens to me, um, you know, I want to be an organ donor and help save others. I know we've we've talked in the past, and I think it's really important to, to hit on this, changing the rules over when someone, when when organs could be taken and, and how important that was and how many lives that saved, because that was that was a rule that that wasn't easy to change, my understanding. Uh, well, walk me through that. I, I, I hopefully you know what I'm talking about with uh, brain dead versus. Uh, oh, I was, sure. I was confused exactly which sure. is which. As awareness grew, uh, more and more families actually talked about donation uh, when you know they were eating dinner. One of the first cases we had where a mom wanted to uh, say goodbye to her son, and she wanted him to be an organ donor because he said he wanted to be a donor. And Sue McVeigh Dillon that night decided for Michael, who was only 14, that um, he had injuries so bad that he would never be the same. And she decided that she wanted to withdraw life support. The idea was, is that she also wanted him to be a donor. And that night in 1995, we, we didn't have the technique as clear as possible to be able to do that. But that night, because of her wish, we figured it out. And uh, that night, Michael was a donor. And uh, three organs were transplanted. And that changed not only the way we offer organ donation to families in this area, but throughout the country. And more than 45,000 organs now have been transplanted nationwide because of this uh, technique where families decide that they want to stop everything on their own and then want to make that person a donor. And so all those organs that were, have been transplanted would have been buried otherwise. And, you know, so it's sort of a miracle that because of a mom's wish, uh, we were able to carry out um, her wishes of her son to be an organ donor and save three lives. And now it's saved over 45,000 people's lives. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. When you say that, I mean, 45,000 lives, when you say that, what, what goes through your mind? Well, they're, they're more than just numbers. I mean, these are, people's families. And, you know, I think of the, the faces, the individuals that I've met over the years uh, who've grown up with transplants. One in particular that comes to mind is Oni Kanine from Delaware, who I met when she was 10 months old. 
She's now 17 and going to be a senior in high school. Just last month, uh, she introduced me at a college commencement, a Juniata College commencement, where I gave the speech. And she wowed the crowd telling her story about her getting a transplant and um, how she's grown up uh, a normal life. And when I hear those stories, it just gives me chills to know that because someone's gift, this child has a new life and she's, she's going to be awesome. She'll probably become a doctor herself. She wants to be a, a pediatrician. So each of those 45,000 people we talk about, or each of the 52,000 that we've helped here in our region, each of those uh, have personal stories about themselves and about their family. They only exist because someone gave that gift. And that's a whole nother group of people that uh, we remember and we honor. And I'm lucky enough to have met uh, many of those people too, the donor families. And I, I may have put the, uh, the cart before the horse here. I, I didn't ask you. It wasn't the easiest beginning for you. It wasn't like you walked in to a nice cushy office <laughs> and a nice cushy job when you showed up. But what, what was your driving force? Well, when I interviewed for the job as transplant coordinator back in 1978, I was pretty inexperienced. I was a research uh, biologist at Worcester Institute. I was you know, looking for a, another a job with really the hope to go to medical school. So in 1978, uh, when I came to interview at Gift of Life, I interviewed with five transplant surgeons. And when they looked at me and sort of my inexperience at the age of 24, they thought, well, maybe this guy doesn't have it. So I offered to work actually for free for three months, uh, hoping they would hire me and I'd get the experience and I'd be already trained. Well, they liked that. They liked that initiative. And uh, I got hired in July of 1978 to become a transplant coordinator, one of three at the time. And um, the rest is history. Um, you know, I thought I would go to medical school at some point in time, but this job um, translated in my passion for people and uh, medicine, both. Uh, we were on the cutting edge of medicine and transplantation for all these years. So um, I never looked back uh, after I took this job. To have that, that front row seat and to be so involved with that cutting edge, with, with pushing that forward. You know, you say when you started, it was kidneys and then you know, again, for someone like me, like liver transplant and heart transplant is, is it, it's almost run of the mill. Yeah. You were there when those were being developed. I can remember going out on my first cases for heart transplantation and, and remembering flying in a helicopter with the team and uh, the excitement, because from the time we went from the donor hospital to the operating room of the transplant, we only had four hours from the time the heart was removed to the time it had to be transplanted. So we literally ran from the operating room to the helicopter. And, and when you got to this hospital, you had to get out and run. It, it was um, very exciting and exhilarating. And then to see a heart from a cold basin from ice to start beating in somebody else's chest was just incredible. I mean, you, you can't, express the feeling. And, you know, I was just a small part of it. Uh, the transplant surgeons are the one who carried out all that. Um, but, you know, we were the ones who got people from place to place. It was, it was exciting. I've seen 
one or two maybe where a loved one listens to a family member's heart in someone else's chest. I've only been involved with a couple of those and, and I'm guessing you are a much larger scale to know the role that you played in that and, and to see it happen. I mean, explain it. it, It's meaningful to me and I'm just, I'm just an observer, you know, but for someone like you who, who, who played a role in, in, in really expanding that when you, when you hear those stories, when you see those stories, where's it take you? When I see people meeting, for example, at the transplant games where donor families meet recipients, um, maybe not even their own donor recipient pair, but the emotion between the fact that someone lost someone and they're able to give new life to someone else and they're actually doing track and field or swimming, again, it just gives me chills thinking about it. And I feel very fortunate that I've been a part of uh, this science, but the science doesn't work without people's giving. It doesn't work without the community. And combining all that, the science, the medicine, the giving nature, working with intensive care unit doctors and nurses, going to operating rooms, figuring out logistics with helicopters and jets and ambulances to figure out how to get organs from place to place, not just from Reading to Philadelphia, but from Puerto Rico to Philadelphia and, and vice versa. To, it's just, it's something that's indescribable to be able to be a part of that. And that whole situation of taking someone's ability to move through a tragedy and to think of someone else is extremely moving every time it happens. I'm very proud of my staff to be able to make that transition every single day with literally thousands and thousands of families who've given that gift. You, you, you mentioned your personality, kind of a bunch of things coming together, you know, your, your research background and, and desire to, to push things forward, but also you're, you're, you're working with, with people. I'm reminded of the, the Amex uh, card kind of play. So <laughs> yeah, right. You, and that personality, that kind of uh, the, the willingness to, to put yourself out and, and a joke or, or you know, humor, and, and, and to bring all that together, to bring, like, you have the personality and the background, and, and you were really able to bring a lot of things together. How did that kind of come together? I'm from a small town. I take those values from being a small town and, you know, knowing uh, when I was uh, packing groceries in high school and kidding around with people and brought those to the big city. The idea was is that people, want to work with people they like and every step along the way trying to use your own personal values and and sense of humor and emotion makes you real people see that if you're not people see through it and so the idea is is that you've got to be you when you're out in the community you know i have a little bit of a sense of humor even when I do staff meetings and train people, um, you have to be real to people and make sure that they use every part of their personality and expertise to get the job done. And that was always in the back of my mind. No matter what the adversities, you got to get the job done because somebody's life depends on it. 
you mentioned earlier about organ donation becoming a discussion at the dinner table. And again, for me, because I grew up with that message surrounding me, you know, going to the DMV, every time I've ever gone to the DMV, that question's been asked. And sure, it's not anything out of the norm for me. But to get that, that's, that's, it's a pretty heavy discussion. Before it was kind of everywhere, it's hard to picture that transition. And it's hard to picture that lift to get it there. Yeah. I mean, in the old days, there was what was called an organ donor card. It was a piece of paper that you kept in your wallet. And the awareness really wasn't that great. I think it was a struggle for people in the early days. When we came into a room, into a waiting room in an intensive care unit in the old days, people didn't know what we were talking about or what to expect. It was very difficult conversations. It still is. But not knowing anything about organ donation or about transplantation because it hadn't reached the media the way it has today was difficult. But as we grew, as it became part of society by through the driver's license program, but through education, through neighbor helping neighbor concepts of volunteers talking about this people who received the gift, people who donated in their church, in their schools, people understood that when somebody passes away, one of the questions you might be asked is, was this person a donor? Do they have a donor card? Do they have it on the registry? Or had they talked about it? And so over time, it's, it has gotten easier, particularly with people who are registered to be donors. The loss is not easy. That's never easy for a family. It's the worst possible time of their life. But knowing that they're going to help somebody else in some small way, we think, uh, provides a little bit of a, you know, a silver lining uh, for their loved one's legacy. You can't be any better than that than to save somebody else's life. I'm kind of hung up on that because of just wrapping my head around. How did you take that step to really push the message out? Because it must have been so hard. It, it, it's hard to walk into a room now and the awareness is so much more than it, than it was. But how did you kind of have the foresight to say, okay, we got to get the word out to people who aren't in this situation. So when they are in this situation, they know what we're talking about. How did that develop? You know, I lost my dad when I was nine years old. And I remember it, you know, very distinctly. And I was looking, uh, I guess, for someone to tell me what the next step is going to be. And so I think early on, I learned about loss. I took that part of that to, to help do this job. Everybody has uh, problems and situations in their life, but the idea is, is that what's the next step? What are you going to do to make, make something better? And I think with organ donation, I tried to think of ways to promote that, sometimes through education, sometimes through the media, Sometimes through, uh, you know, making fun of myself on TV commercials or something like that. But the backbone of the, the whole thing is, what do you do to make something better for somebody's life? And I think I learned early on uh, in my life that people tried to do that for me because, you know, I, I didn't know what the next step was. You know, I. I studied hard in school and sort of did it for the Gipper kind of thing, you know, thinking to honor my dad. Um, but, you know, my mom's values really hung with me about 
doing the right thing for people. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the core that uh, helped me figure out what to do in this job. To wrap up, when you look back at, at 40 plus years, not many people get to look back at a career and say, you know, I helped, I helped facilitate the saving of, of, of tens of thousands of lives. When you look back, what do you think? I'm just proud uh, to be a part of a team that that makes things happen. And uh, what I'm most proud of is the people that have um, been able to offer that gift to people. And frankly, one of the other things I'm most proud of is that gift of life is seen as a world leader. Um, so I've had the opportunity to travel to more than 30 countries to teach the best practices that we've created here at Gift of Life in Philadelphia and teach that in China, in India, in South America, and see other people then pick up those aspects and techniques that we've used to make successful programs throughout the world. So that that makes me feel pretty good. And um, I'm glad I have the opportunity to continue that through the Transplant Foundation. Um, so even though I'm stepping down as CEO, I'm going to continue uh, for the next several years to continue to help create best practices, not only in, around the world, but in the United States, uh, as organ procurement organizations are uh, more scrutinized for their performance, we're going to help uh, other sister organizations throughout the country. And I was going to ask you, you mentioned that you were shifting to another role. You touched on it there, but if you want to elaborate more. Or... You know, I, I've, I've learned a lot over the years and I felt, you know, I still have the, the energy and the passion to continue to teach some of the things that we've learned for our best practices. And, you know, Rick's going to run things day to day, but I'll be behind the scenes helping, you know, create curriculum and training programs uh, throughout this country and to help others uh, continue the legacy of giving the gift of life to others. That'll be fun to do. And, you know, I think the whole thing, Jim, is that everybody has a story. Everybody really wants to tell their story from donor families to recipients. It's quite a, a field to be in to know that people's lives have been transformed because of someone else, someone else's gift. And we're really the ones that just guide that. We're the stewards of the gift. And there's a lot to it, um, to promote it, to organize it, to do the logistics, to do the science. But it's really pretty basic, one person giving to another. And you can't, you can't beat that to, to have a job that's better than that. The story of Michael McVeigh is amazing. He was 14, suffered fatal injuries in a rope swing accident. He'd said before to his mother that he wanted to be an organ donor, but he was on life support. Back then, there was no set policy. The hospital where he was required all brain activity to stop before any organs could be taken. That takes too long, and the organs are unusable. His mother wanted him to be a donor, so she turned to Gift of Life, and together they fought it. They basically changed the rule because of that 45,000 other transplants have happened. This is his mom, Sue, at the podium at the celebration of Howard's 40th year with Gift of Life back in 2018. So I've had the privilege of knowing Howard for, it'll be 23 years this summer. 
And like many families, um, I met Howard at a time um, when the family is trying to heal. Uh, for me, though, it was really about a year after my son Michael's death when I came down to Gift of Life to meet Michael's liver recipient, Santos, that I actually really went face to face with Howard. It was a very brief meeting. It was a very compelling meeting. I'm not sure who was more nervous, Santos, me, or Howard. I think we were all shaking. We weren't sure how it was going to go. But Howard already knew Santos because he had volunteered here. So he pretty much, and through John Edwards knowing me, they kind of decided that we would be a good match. And it turns out that Santos and I were a pretty good match. And for the next 10 years, we were a pretty good team, actually. I followed, I was Santos's biggest fan at the transplant games. Uh, I actually went to uh, Puerto Rico and got to meet his mom and uh, many of his family members who, although Santos is no longer here, um, I am still in contact with his uh, family members, which is uh, just kind of a bittersweet but nice thing. But it was really at the transplant games in Columbus, Ohio in 1998 that I got to actually spend some time with Howard. And um, I watched him from the sidelines, you know, you just, and he, um, just how he interacted with donor families, with recipients, with any supporters that happened to be there. You know, he is Team Philadelphia's biggest fan. Uh, you know, he supports the team, the basketball team, the volleyball team, and he would go and support each individual, whether they were playing badminton or the little kids running track. Uh, Howard was always there. And it was at those games and many, many games after that that I got to know this gentle man who loved what he was doing and was very passionate about it. And at each transplant game or a luncheon or an event here, Howard was always there and he was always in the moment. Uh, Mr. Calm, cool, and collected, I'd like to say. He always knew the names of any uh, donor family, new or old. He knew the recipients, and he knew their stories. And if you were lucky enough to hang around with Howard at any given moment, there was always something to be learned. He possesses a lot of knowledge. And Howard has a way, when you're with him, of making you feel very comfortable, very welcomed, but he also makes you feel important. And he brings everyone together as a family. And he pays attention to what you say. He listens. And uh, he is also a visionary. He takes ideas, sometimes with help from his fellow staff members to put them together. Uh, but he takes his ideas and he makes them happen, uh, like on-the-spot interviews with a mic in hand at the transplant games which he loves, or building family house. He creates warmth and kindness because he is big hearted and down to earth. But Howard doesn't stop there. Howard takes his show on the road, traveling across the country and around the world to educate, to share his passion, and to lend his expertise. Dr. Seuss wrote a book called, Oh, The Places You'll Go. Howard helped me to write my journey, sending me to wonderful places 
where I was able to share Michael's story and to educate others. And because Howard believed in me, and he believed in our story, I'm pretty sure we saved a few lives. There's so many good things that I could say about Howard, about this interesting and classy man. Thank you comes to mind. So from all the donor families, all the recipient families, all your staff, and all your supporters, we thank you for being you and for guiding us through these difficult journeys. But I, I thank you for your friendship, your determination, and for saying yes to DCD. I love you, Howard. <laughs> That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app. You can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Jim Melwort. We'll have another episode out soon.